Hey everyone, Jake and Tevis here with Ticket Price Podcast. Just jumping in to let you know we're on Patreon. We finally did it. It took us longer than we thought. We're not very smart. But if you enjoy the show, check us out. $3 subscription cost. Can't beat that. With it, you're going to get early access to our episodes. You're going to get bonus content, as well as our community forum. Laugh, joke about the show, tell us how bad we are, share your favorite moments. But most importantly, give us recommendations for movies you want to hear us talk about. If we like it, we're going to do your movie. We're going to give you a shout out during the show as a thank you for giving us the idea. Thank you all for listening. Ticket Price Podcast at Patreon. Check us out. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whenever it is you're tuning in. Welcome to Ticket Price. I am Jake, your co-host for this episode and all of our episodes until I get replaced. And with me as always, my co-host and the only man who thinks Michael Keaton's performance in Batman is better than his performance in Beetlejuice, Tevis at Master Control. I prefer his role in Mr. Mom. Man, he was so good in that. <laughs> That's not even the bit. No. <laughs> okay, well, I stand corrected. The only man who thinks Michael Keaton's best performance was Mr. Mom. Oh, man. Off to a roaring start. As always. See what I did always. there? A roaring start? Oh, oh what's... I, I hate puns. Yeah. So what's the movie we're doing? We're doing Jurassic Park, boys! Oh my God. Yes! Finally! We're doing... Man, hold on. We did, we're did. we doing Jurassic Park. Young Guns was fine. It was fine. We did Into the Spider-Verse. The Amazing. Halloween showdown was a, actually shockingly... I was I was actually more way more into both films than I thought I would be. Yeah, same. Grumpy old men. We are on a... We're actually on a pretty good streak of bangers yeah, right I, now. I agree. Not, I agree. Not counting Young Guns. Uh, yeah, it was a little miss. You know what? I don't know if we officially awarded Young Guns the Shelley Duvall Award for being just totally fine. It's fine. But I would like to now. Let's do that. So, so Young Guns, hold on, let me go back to my notes so I can do this right. The 1988 classic, Young air, Guns, air, quotes. air quote classic Young Guns. We would we at Ticket Price would like to proudly present to you the Shelley Duvall Award for being totally, completely fine. Absolutely fine. It was fine. If if you don't know how fine Young Guns is, jump back and listen to that episode. Much like the movie we're talking, we were talking about. Our episode is is fine. Are we fine? We're barely fine. Well, we're not fine enough to win the award, <laughs> but you know, it's it's like uh, it's it's fine, I guess. It's, May- we're it's fine, I guess. <laughs> Maybe this episode we'll finally get there. Ooh. Come on. <laughs> well. We couldn't have better material to do. I, it's Jurassic Park, baby. I know. I was super excited for this. I love this movie. I'm so pumped. Although, and we've talked about it before, we hold ourselves to a really strict viewing criteria of like, put our emotions at the door, nostalgia is left behind, and we critically watch these movies. So when we pull a movie that I really enjoy, I get nervous. Same. Because I'm like, is this going to ruin this movie? Kind of ruin Young Guns for me. <laughs> yeah, it did me. It did me. I have the copy upstairs, and I, every time I walk by, I look at it, I'm like, I hate you. Also, despite the fact that I still 
for the most part, enjoy Halloween. It ruined Halloween for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely did me too. If you go back, I actually I want to make an amendment. If okay. you go back and listen to Halloween, or no, if you go back and listen to John Carpenter's The Thing episode, I mentioned that my two favorite horror movies uh, are one is Halloween, two is John Carpenter's The Thing. I remember that. No, it's number one is The Thing. It's hands down. After after viewing it for this show, hands down The Thing. And where is uh, Halloween at on your list? Honestly, I don't even know anymore. Okay. This movie makes me, or this show makes me question everything I think I know about movies and myself and why I sit across from you every day. I wonder that every time. (laughs) (laughs) Please, someone replace me. I've asked for a replacement for you for so long. Can just replace me. (laughs) Send your resumes to P.O. Box. Wait, we're supposed to have resumes? Yeah. Yeah. Get this job. I saw you, uh, how well you handled yourself at the job we worked at. (laughs) Hey, what I do on my bathroom breaks was no one's business. You were the one kicking my foot so hard under the stall. I lost a toenail. Doing the tap. (laughs) It was when you came out of the bathroom stall with a sandwich. (laughs) My break time is my break time. I don't have to put up with this. What we do have to put up with is Jurassic Park. The 1993 classic. And no air quotes on that. Oh, no. None whatsoever. 93 cinema history. Written by Steven Spielberg, Michael Crichton, and David Kopp? Sure. (laughs) And obviously based on the book by Michael Crichton with the same name. Directed by Spielberg, starring Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Richard Attenborough. (laughs) Burra? Burra. Burra, okay. Burra. Richard Attenborough. Yes. Wow. When you We're do go- it with the accent, it works. Yeah, my Charlie Sheen. I, actually, accent. I would like to just go ahead and present you this award for the Charlie Sheen Best Accent Award. Goes to our very own Tevis. Yeah, yeah. That's the best thing that came out of the Young Guns episode. It was our new award for <laughs> yes. best accents. You know, you're not wrong because it's fine. The movie is fine. All right, Jurassic Park ratings. Rotten Tomato. I'm switching up a little bit. Rotten okay. Tomatoes a 91. Okay, that's that's fair. That is fair. On IMDb, it's number 145 on their top 250. Man, so it's on the list. I feel like that's low though. Kind of do too. But if you think that's low, IMDb's rating is 8.2. It is a low eight. Really? And that's way too low. It's way too low way too low i don't feel bad for deleting the app i had of imdb you got so frustrated with their terrible ratings yeah i was like nope i'm done bye <laughs> well if you hadn't before you would have yeah, i will i will now you're gonna reinstall it just to, <laughs> just delete, to delete it again it. just to screw with your numbers this is what you get for rating jurassic park like garbage so jurassic park made with a budget of uh, estimated 63 million and an Overall worldwide gross of one point one billion. I was gonna just say, I bet that banked hard. Sixty three million to one point one billion. I carry the one. I don't have enough fingers. And yeah, I think it made its money back a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Forty four award wins. Now let me ask you a question. Of course. So that 
is that amount banked back? Is that counting just the box office? Or is that with like merchandise sales? This is worldwide ticket gross. Okay. That's what I thought, but this I is wanted theater. to be sure. Yeah, oh no. Are you kidding? I, uh, what merchandise spinoffs, you know, when you look at like, you know, t-shirts, lunch boxes, video games, action figures. If you look at the whole, I oh, wonder, I can't even imagine. Isn't this movie pretty much the only one we've done so far without, well, maybe into the Spider-Verse, but where merchandise would have been a really a huge part of it. So I'm looking back through my notes. Um, as you say that looking avatar i feel like could have but it didn't to the best of my knowledge there was no real i mean i remember seeing like action figures every once a in a few, while but there, it's not but the it's same not, no um i feel like indy could i don't think it did but i feel like indy could have it was big enough in that demograph demographic that they could have made bank with like little indie figures and yeah but still not as much as just jurassic park i feel but no, yeah, looking through our list, um, Avatar is the only one I can think of that that could have, but it didn't. Into the Spider-Verse, I feel like it's unfair to say yeah, because I... Into the Spider-Verse is a movie, but it's a Spider-Man movie. So yeah. now you're getting into comics. You're getting into all the other movies. You're getting into all the TV shows. You're getting, you know, and right. it, that's... There's no way to distinguish just into the Spider-Verse merchandise versus all of the Spider-Man. Whereas Jurassic Park, that's a little more measurable. Yeah. I, I'm always curious about that. How much they actually bring in. Yeah. That they don't say as far as gross. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With merchandise. But no, yeah. I don't I don't have those numbers. Hmm. But no, worldwide okay. ticket gross. One point one billion. That still blows my mind. Well, you know, I honestly, this this movie made so much money off of its 63 million estimate uh budget that it spawned five sequels. <laughs> Am I counting that um, right? It's five. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yes, okay. Five sequels including Jurassic Park, so there cuz there are, is six of them. Right, but Jurassic Park and then yeah, five sequels. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you don't count the movie we're talking about well, I guess when I, discussing I, it its sequels. Yes, I that's know. that's Vince McMahon saying that, you know, WrestleMania, what was it, WrestleMania twenty five is the twenty fifth anniversary of WrestleMania? And everyone went, Vince, no, it's the twenty fourth anniversary of WrestleMania. And he was like, Damn it, pal. <laughs> It sounds better. We can put a big 25 on a star because it's in Texas, pal. I miss, I must have missed that. Oh, yeah. That was a. So if, if you go back and, and listen to any of the voice work promotions for WrestleMania 25, it's the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. WrestleMania 25. No, it would be the 24th anniversary because yeah. you don't count. So like Jurassic Park, you don't, you don't count Jurassic Park when we're figuring up its sequels yes are we that are we yeah, yeah okay. i understand i got i got it math math's hard math <laughs> and words are really hard for me so so wait you can't math i can't math you can't word I can't word life's life's tough man hey but you need me to draw something i got you all right <laughs> just don't don't let me draw words or math 
Wait, what if I want what if I want you to to illustrate one of those paragraph, you know, word problems we'd get in high school? <laughs> like draw the how many buses are heading to Jefferson City yeah. at whatever speed. Yeah, but then there there's a train going the opposite direction full of TNT and they're gonna collide and they're gonna wipe out Kirksville and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Okay. Yeah. Please do that. Yeah. Join us for Patreon as now Tevis is going to to illustrate a high school word problem. You'll have to read it to me. Done. I can do that. I think I can do that. Yeah. I probably can't do that. All right. Back on track. Wow. That was a long tangent. Okay. For us? Not yeah. really. No, you're right. You're right. All right. Awards. 44 wins with an additional 27 nominations. Of those wins... Three Oscar wins, Best Sound, Best Sound Special Effects, Best Visual Special Effects. Especially the sound. Oh my gosh, the sound in this movie. It's so good. Yeah, and it starts right from the beginning when the Universal logo comes up and then you hear the crickets. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so such a great sound anyway. But knowing what movie it is, it's like, oh yeah, here we go, here we go. Right, you just getting you get amped up for it. Yeah. You get ready. The score, the score it is beautiful. It's oh man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it, it's haunting at times, and it's sometimes it's tragic. Like there's just this perfect undertone of sadness to it when there needs to be. It's big and bold and triumphant when it needs to be. It's perfect. And then they do, they do the piano mm-hmm. bit towards the end and it's oh my gosh it's such a beautiful song it really is it's i don't have any other words for it <laughs> it's just a, it's just a score in a movie why are you crying <laughs> fine why yeah. mind your business <laughs> okay man i'm i'm in a good mood and now i'm about to not be in a good mood and i'm trying really hard to to be in a good mood today the reviews our friend Ebert, not Ebert.com, not the people just banking off his name, actual Roger Ebert. Okay. Old overall gave it three stars. That's okay. However, he had a lot of criticisms for the movie. And uh, allow me to paraphrase uh, kind of his, his overall summary. Okay. Jurassic Park delivers all all too well on the dinosaurs. However, the movie lacks any sense of awe, wonderment, or strong human story values. Um, did you pull the review for Jurassic Park 3? <laughs> yeah, but you know, remember D- Dr. Grant sleeping on the plane and he's dreaming about the raptor? Oh, yeah. And then it turns and looks at him and, wake up, Alan. And then, <laughs> then the raptor starts talking to him. Wake up, Alan. Like, what a terrible dream scene. No, like, wait a this is Jurassic Park. It's only It only has awe and wonderment. It's yeah. the first movie of its kind about freaking dinosaurs. I don't know what movie he was watching. Obviously not Jurassic Park. No. Probably Avatar. No. You're not like a movie that lacks sense of all wonderment purpose. Okay. Our friends at Variety claim that Spielberg's story is one-dimensional and clunky, but delivers on excitement. 
I don't know what they mean by one dimensional. See, that got me thinking. Because we've done a few movies that either have also been reviewed as one dimensional or even we ourselves have said one dimensional that, you know, that it is one dimensional. And so I did my notes for this one a little differently and I watched this movie a little differently. I broke down the story and three key characters and I wrote down instead of writing down like scenes and epic moments and like we like we normally normally do. do. Yeah. I broke down key moments of character building or arc or story moments where we really get a clear defined aspect of the story as it happened to really see are, are, am I wrong? And I just don't remember this movie. Like I think I do. And it really is just this one dimensional schlock of dinosaur meat. I mean, even that the dinosaurs aren't there that often. They're not on screen that much. It's interesting you bring that up because reading the entire like Ebert review, he talked about how early in Spielberg's career, he had he, the one of the few reasons he ultimately agreed to be the director of Jaws was they they gave in his into his demand that the shark does not appear at all for the first hour of the film. It, that's smart it works right and so what ebert is saying uh goes on to say is that jurassic park should have been more of the same but instead over delivers on dinosaurs to the point that it takes away from the overall movie experience and they're so focused on delivering dinosaurs that we miss the rest of the important pieces that make up a, a good story a good movie I I totally disagree. Especially when you think about it. It's like, wait, up until like act three, there aren't that many dinosaurs. No. And you have to show when they, when they first arrive and they're in the Jeep, you know, and he, he looks over and he's like, oh my God. And his jaw drops and you have to show something. And he shows the Brachiosaur. Yes. And then later on you see the baby baby raptor I was mm-hmm. you know um and then the next one you see is not for a while but you see the triceratops that's sick yes and but none of them are overdone i feel it's it's very short moments yeah it's not like any one of these scenes dominates a huge chunk of time no and they're all three are different as far as not just creatures but in sizes but One's a, a puppet, one's animatronic, the other one is all CG. Mm-hmm. So they're all three different effects, and all three of them, each, all the characters have different emotions when they see them. And each dinosaur is act- is very specifically serving a different uh, role within the story itself. Yeah, they're not just there to be like, hey, look, look what we can do. We can build this big, giant dinosaur, and you guys will love it. And so, so watching this movie, I am going to make a lot of... Because in my head, as I was making my notes, my big comparisons are with Avatar, a movie I famously hate, and John Carpenter's The Thing, a movie I famously love. However, both are criticized for one-dimensional characters, a bit of a one-dimensional story... We we destroyed, or excuse me, I destroyed Avatar 
for that. And even though we love the thing, we ultimately had to agree that the the critics are right and that the characters and everything driving the thing is one dimensional. So using those two as kind of a, a, a foundation, I'm like, okay, am I wrong or are the critics wrong? So going into this, that's kind of my notes and how I'm watching this movie. Okay, I'm interested to hear this. But but as always, good Sir Tevis, what is your prehistory with the dinosaurs? See what I did there? Prehistory, oh, di- prehistoric. See what I did? I hate puns. I was going to say, you hate puns and you've done two in this episode. I know, Jurassic Park just brings it out of me. I'm so giddy. History with this movie. I watched this movie when it first came out at the theater, and I still remember the audience's reaction to certain moments when I rewatched this movie. People were the jump scare with Laura Dern when she's in the turning the lights on, you know, and then the t- the raptor mm. busts through. I still remember people in the theater were just freaking out, and it was so fun. Um, but walking out of the theater the first time I watched that movie, I was blown away by not only the story and the action and the comedy. There is a lot of good comical moments in this movie, but just the special effects because I kind of knew a little bit about some of the things they could do and couldn't do. And I thought legitimately they built these giant dinosaurs out of an animatronics. I was dumb. And still kind of am. I was going to say past tense. Yeah, past tense. (laughs) (laughs) But I I came out of the theater super excited to see it again. I went back probably four times. And that's one one of the rare rare movies that I've actually went to the theater multiple times to watch. But yeah, every time this was released on a new format, be it VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, I've gotten a copy every time and watched it at least once a year. Um, I was super excited to show my, my child when she was old enough to actually understand what was going on and not get too scared. Uh, she loves it. We watched it together when I, we were watching it for this pod. Yeah, how'd that go? That was... <laughs> for all of our parents out there <laughs> listening. Yeah, if you have to watch a movie with your 10-year-old and have to pay attention to the movie, don't do it. <laughs> um... Because there are so many times I had to pause it because she's trying to tell me something. And most of the time, it's nothing to do with the movie. So, so yeah, I say I probably watched this three times just for this pod from rewinding things I missed. And so I was very thorough. (laughs) And like like you text because you texted me about Mm -hmm. it and you were like, oh, man, this is the worst. Yeah, I told you calmly, rationally. As a parent, explain to her that if she's not talking about Jeff Goldblum's exposed chest hair, then she needs to shut up. <laughs> Although I will tell you, and I already told you this upstairs, but I will tell she did give me an epiphany, I guess. When I was making my notes, I wrote down during the Nedry scene where he, where he gets killed off. 
I wrote down Nedry, and she looked over and she's like, Dad, you spelled nerdy wrong. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, I wonder if that was what Michael Crichton was going for. He's like, ah, this guy's a tech guy. He's nerdy. So, yeah. Nedry. Here we go. His first name is Dennis. Dennis. Dennis Nerdy. Dennis Nurse. Apologies to everyone out there with the super nerdy name of Dennis. (laughs) Don't get me with your slingshot, man. (laughs) You damn menace. (laughs) We need to do that just to watch more Walter Walter Matthau. I forgot he was in that until just now. (laughs) So what's your history with this movie? I have all the history with this movie. Like you, I just, I remember when it came out owned every version and format of it uh i was always and still am but especially as a kid i was always super into dinosaurs big dinosaur guy growing up i can still remember one of my favorite books uh on the on the shelf in my bedroom as a kid was was like a not encyclopedia but it was an illustrated dinosaur book but one of the things I still remember so clearly about it are the laughably outdated illustrations. So, like the T-Rex, for instance, was still drawn and thought to have walked around like an old Godzilla movie. Like, fully, <laughs> his back is, you know, pencil straight and his head's way up in the air, right? And his tail drags the ground <laughs> like an old, you know, Tojo Godzilla <laughs> Or Toho Godzilla, excuse me. Uh, yeah, and just like, you know, just these really crude early um, ideas of what they look like and how their skeletal structure works. Oh, yeah, I can still picture a few going, oh, man, we were way off. <laughs> I, I'm so disappointed that that is not what we saw escaping the paddock. That would have been hilarious. Well, ideally, he would have moved. The T-Rex would have moved like Godzilla did in those movies. He would have leaned all the way back on his tail and drop kicked the fence down. <laughs> and then threw his little child. What was the child's name? Godzilla's child. Oh, God. I have no idea. So terrible. Oh, son of Godzilla is the worst. The absolute worst. But no, so I was a huge dinosaur fan. Then this movie came out and we get, and up to this point, like, was it Disney's Fantasia was the first time movie going audiences saw dinosaurs really because they're in, in within Fantasia, there's that small scene of like a prehistoric setting. Volcanoes are going off. It's all rocky. And we see a T-Rex clash with a Triceratops, I believe. Oh, I don't and, know. And, it's been forever and, since I've seen that. But this is one of the first times the audience were like, holy crap, dinosaurs. Like, we've never, you know, imagined actually being able to see them or or what we could, uh, or the stories we could tell or the things we could do with dinosaurs now. But now we can draw them and illustrate them. We can animate them. And so, and so that was there. And I feel like Jurassic Park was the modern version of that where it combined everything we could do in filmmaking into a dinosaur film that made everyone just genuinely jaw drop and go, holy cow. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was every single trick in the book they used, and they used it effectively. And then, because we, we've talked about it um, before we got on air, is CG, puppetry, animatronics. Like, they... 
they went all they spared no expense <laughs> as you might say but they went all out and the way they weave shots together using all three yeah and they never look the CG T-Rex looks just like the animatronic C, uh, T-Rex. Mm-hmm. It, it never wavers. And if they would have screwed up slightly, it would have just kind of made your eyes go, wait a minute, there's something not right here. Mm-hmm. And it would have taken you out of the moment. But no, every time you see the T-Rex, one way or the other, CG or animatronic, they look extremely similar and freaking terrifying. And oh, now let's be fair, because that's one thing. I I'm, I love what I love. I hate what I hate. But I try to be fair. We gave Avatar. Excuse me. I gave. Yeah, don't, a- don't don't put me in your Avatar <laughs> hate. I gave Avatar a hard time. Now, and honestly, not even a hard time. But I admitted that watching it for the first time in 2023, the O9 effects had aged. Not not terribly. But sure, it was a little rough around the edges by modern standards. And and Jurassic Park came out in 93. There was some aging. Some aging oh, yeah. had occurred. Like so like you mentioned in the first scene, they're in the Jeeps, and Grant sees the Brachiosaur and it's like, oh my gosh. You know, and he tur- he turns Laura Dern's head and they're all looking at it, and it rears up and gets it's a little rough looking. There yeah, there are moments, especially since the new newer Jurassic Park's done it pretty much almost 100% CGI mm-hmm. and CGI has come a long way. So you do have a comparison to what we can do now if you put yourself through the misery of Jurassic Park Dominion. Jurassic um, World Dominion. Dra- oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know. I did not. I tried for like 10 minutes to watch it and I was like, I can't do this. This is just complete trash. Um, so what, you don't know about all the clones and the little girl? Uh, and the- <laughs> no, I, I watched What's the one where they have the dinosaur auction? The second one. That is dumb. Uh, and <laughs> that is so that is dumb. Dumb. <laughs> Just all of it's so dumb. Um, it gets worse. It gets yeah. way worse than the dinosaur auction. Oh, but they look really good. Yeah. And so when you watch that and then you go back and you watch this from 93, there are some misses. But, but not saying misses, I don't think is fair. Showed Compared, it shows aging. It shows yes. aging. That is a better word. Okay, well, miss implies it's like, man, they just didn't do it right in '93. No, in this 93, was done a hundred percent right. Yeah, but so we get the brachiosaur, and you've got some aging, but then it pans, and you see the herds. You see the brachiosaurs coming out of the lake. There's the parasaurs drinking, and it's just all the. Her- and that's when Doctor Grant's like, "They're moving in herds. They do move in herds. That that shot." Amazing. Yeah, still looks amazing. It still looks good, and they have like the heat wave Movies effect. Thirty years old. Oh, still looks amazing. It does. It, in every part of it, it still gives me goosebumps. Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. So, the opening scene. We'll try to put some structure in this. There, we're on the island, and they're they're trying to get. I always believed it to be the big raptor, the one that took over the pride and killed, but all, all but two of the others. And it's the really smart one. Yeah. That's, I, why, I, that's why I always took it. Yeah. In my mind, I always imagine that the raptor they're, they're trying to load is her. Because they make eye contact. Yeah. Her and Muldoon. Yeah. She makes eye contact with a lot of people. Yeah. She's but you specifically watching. see 
you know, it's her eyes and then it's his eyes when he's trying to pull that guy down. Mm-hmm. Um, which, okay, is, that's what I'm getting to. It it's dark. It's dramatic. Shoot her! Oh, shoot! But I'm also like, man, they're like tasing her, and like everyone is t- like twenty people are tasing this dinosaur. How did she not let that guy go? She was hungry. Now, why did the gatekeeper get raised into the air and then stay there? He's being attacked by a velociraptor, not a T-Rex. Yeah, but he only goes about head height. About the height of a T-Rex or a uh, raptor. A raptor cannot pick you up like that. Says who? That's not how physics works. The way he's just up there like that. And the the raptors, when we see the raptors later on, like standing almost completely next to Dr. Grant. There's no way. And that gatekeeper was way portlier than Sam Neill. I don't know. I'm going to just believe that they can. Okay, so what about to save the gatekeeper when Muldoon runs over and just slaps him in a cross-faced chicken wing? <laughs> got, like he's Chris, Bob Backlund. I got Chris Benoit here, dude. <laughs> oh. oh, damn. Well, we have to edit that out because okay. we can't talk about CB. <laughs> That's why I said cross-faced chicken wing like Bob Backlund, not... My, you were talking about... Submission holds, and my mind went right to Chris Benoit. <laughs> you did it again! Oh, man. I don't care. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> but no, Muldoon's like, I'll save you! <laughs> I'm gonna choke you out while I do it! Go to sleep! And he's, hold- sleep. he's getting pulled out of his of his hold, and his hand slips out. Yeah. And But then you hear the gunfire in the background, too. So Yeah, so wait a minute. Can it be the big raptor if they did ultimately shoot her? But maybe they did. They shot at her and missed. And I understand it's a shotgun, but we've seen worse. But yeah, but it's also a shotgun in a cage. Like but, they put it through the thing. Yeah, but maybe it took off into the paddock. We don't know. That's true. We don't know. We don't know. Although now I like to think that the guy with the shotgun who does ultimately shoot her just crams it into that hole and fires blindly like when they were trying to taste it. And he just blows the three people on the opposite <laughs> side of the on the opposite side of the cage away. <laughs> see, see, the uh the attorney, the lawyer shows up because the dinosaur killed someone. He was not representing the families of the three men that got killed by gunfire. <laughs> he was only representing the gatekeeper's family and the dinosaur eating incident. Yeah, they covered the gunfire scene. Up. Yeah, that was a different that was a different part, <laughs> yeah. But I like it when the lawyer shows up and he says um he's talking about there's an inspection. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of the guy who was doing the digging, but he's like Hammond hates inspections. It slows everything down. It's like, oh, you just hate everything that's for safety. All right. <laughs> you know, because, well, God dang it, we got to get this thing going. And going into my character traits with Hammond, that kind of plays a big part. Oh. He is a reckless man. Yes. Yes, he is. Much like Ian, man, as as much as I ever hate to admit that you're right. 
I'm not going to lie. We kind of have to sit here and admit that Ian Malcolm is right. The most insufferable prick. I absolutely love. I love Ian Malcolm. Everyone loves Ian Malcolm. He is my favorite character in this movie. We've talked. No one else could play Ian Malcolm. We've talked. We've talked before about how, like, there are certain characters that I could picture other people playing. No one else can be Ian Malcolm. That's just Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Nobody at all. And honestly, nobody could be Dr. Grant either. No. Because when I was researching this, I found, and I I don't know how true it is because I can't remember the source I found it, but I heard... <laughs> A-plus researching as always. Yeah, you know, you you go to a web page and like, wait a minute, I didn't mean this. <laughs> uh, I I have a lot of questions, but I don't want to ask any of them. Yeah. Because I don't want to know. Let's you know just what? skip over that. I don't, I don't want the um, answer. But I heard Harrison Ford was approached to play Dr. Grant. And either he couldn't do it because of a, a prior commitment or he just turned it down or whatever. And then it went to Sam Neill. And Harrison Ford was like, no, yeah, Sam Neill nailed it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, even Harrison Ford, I couldn't see him being. It's Indiana Jones, basically. Yeah, if, you were to, if, if Harrison Ford were to then play a paleontologist, he's just Indy. Like that's to me a paleontologist with the hat and everything. Yeah, exactly. That Sam Neill wears, that Dr. Grant wears. That's way too close. Yeah. To archaeologist Indiana Jones. That's Yeah, and it wouldn't have worked, no. I don't think. As had, much as I hate to admit it. Had Indy never existed, oh, it then, would have worked. Yes. But because Indy does exist, no. Couldn't you couldn't do Harrison Ford. What a terrible idea. Come on, guys. I just want to take a minute at the dig site. When Grant scares that kid with the raptor claw. He's basically telling the kid how the gatekeeper was to get killed. Like, scraped across the stomach. Spilling your intestine. Yeah, and they're still alive when they eat you. See, he's going to come at you with this. A nine-inch retractable claw. And he's going to slash at you here. Or here. Maybe here, and like goes clearly goes for the junk. Yeah, right. maybe here across the belly. Maybe here right across the belly. After the scene, he and he and uh, Doctor Sadler are walking up the hill, and she's like, "You know, if you wanted to scare the kid, you could have just pulled a gun." <laughs> she is such a good character. Yeah, and and Laura Dern does a great oh, job. Man, yes, she does. She's she was she nailed this. She was everyone in this movie oh, nails yeah, that. But there, I feel like I give. A lot of actors or actresses grief. Um, Usually, rightly so. Yeah, but for what they do to put themselves out there like that, I I know I I don't think I could do it or even do it poorly. I couldn't do it poorly. Yeah, I've heard you talk. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Uh, But the moment when she sees the T-Rex or the Triceratops rather for the first time, and she, her eyes are wide and she gets really emotional. She sold that moment for me. Oh, like yeah. Just her alone sold that that is an actual animal and it's sick and she has to help it. And then, so, so, and that's a good example. I want to explore that moment just a little bit more, if you'll let me. Go ahead. She is selling it from her performance, which is just A plus, top notch. Then with their visual effects, they sell it further 
because now it's an animatronic and Sam Neill is laying ac- across her belly as she inhales and exhales and he's going up and down. And, and this is one of the things where like the practical effects like an animatronic, especially for this moment works better than CGI. And even now it's CGI has come such a long way and there's so many great ways you can do it. But at the end of the day, no matter how well it's done, Sam Neill could not have risen up and fallen back down on a CGI Triceratops. He does. And we know we were watching it happen. There is our brain is like, Oh no, this is, this is happening. So then, so now what we have is the perfect marriage of a performance and the visual effects selling us that there is a real life triceratops on this screen right now. And, and we know that's not possible, but maybe it is. And that is the beauty of movie making. That is the magic of filmmaking that so many people don't understand is when you, when you actually take the time to properly blend and marry all the elements together, your audience will suspend their disbelief on the most ridiculous things like dinosaurs being real. Yeah, I agree. And I like to think that they didn't allow the cast to see the Triceratops at all before they bring it down for that specific scene. Oh, I hope not. And then even the kids, especially the kids, man, just be like, okay, here we go here, uh, you know, action yeah and then they come up and they're like holy crap what it, is this thing as a filmmaker knowing that they had the the practical side for the triceratops the rex and the velociraptors no one would have seen any of them until the first day of of the shoot that involved it yeah. i would have hidden as a filmmaker i would have hidden all of it absolutely <laughs> absolutely and then no one would have used the first genuine reactions because they would just be swearing he he would have looked over at Spielberg and go, how the fuck did you build this thing? <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Sam, Sam, this isn't an R-rated movie. You can't say fuck. Uh, Although, okay, can't say that, but Jeff Goldblum as uh, Dr. Malcolm going, that is one big pile of shit. <laughs> That is one big pile of shit. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Man, okay. So, we get into, if we if we jump forward a little bit, they're in the Jeeps, and they're on the track, and they're going to, and they're first going down the, the, the track to start the tour. Oh, through the King Kong doors. Through the gate. How amazing is that the music is going and the camera is from the point of view of the vehicles, like inside the vehicle. And you see these massive gates swing open and the huge Jurassic Park sign and the torches. And I'm in. I am in. Oh, yeah. It's it's still as effective the other day when I watched it as it was to me in 93. Well, they got in there. King Kong. (laughs) He has all the best lines. Oh yeah, Dr. Malcolm has all the best lines. Although Jeff Gold even Jeff Goldblum's performance when they're in the helicopter, when they're first going to the and he just why he's giving John a, John Hammond a hard time and puts his hand on his knee. 
And John's like, please. I, I yeah, he does that little knee not, squeeze. He squeezes his knee. I love that. I wrote that down. I was like, man, it makes both of them as a re- their relationship so much more believable just as a character, a character building rather. It's like they know each other. He knows, he yeah. knows Hammond hates it. So he just does it a little squeeze yeah. just to piss him off, I think. And I bring the doc or I bring the scientist. You bring the rock star. It's, so, it's such a good <laughs> moment. I love that. You know, and especially like going back to like Jack Nicholson's performance in The Shining or some of the other performances that we've really emphasized to, to people out there. You know, if you want to watch a performance, it's those little touches, you know, and I don't know if that was just. Jeff Goldblum just going with the scene, if that was a stage direction and they, you know, if it was mapped out or not, or if it was improv, I have no idea. But those interactions, right? Because you can deliver all the dialogue you want, but at the end of the day, you are delivering a physical performance, whether you're sitting in a chair or you're, you know, in a full-blown kung fu movie, your performance always has a, a, a physical element. And that's being able to, you know, use it just a little tweak of the knee to make John mad, <laughs> you know, just to just to be real petty and mess with him, yes. right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that sells his character. It sells both characters, and it it's a, a great little moment in the scene. You've got to go for that, you, if it's even if it's a stage direction that you as an actor haven't specifically been given, sometimes you just got to go for it. Cause that's when the magic happens. Yeah, It makes it makes that scene completely for me. Yeah. I, I loved it. Which is, which mission mission impossible is it when Henry Cavill reloads his biceps oh in the God. fight scene yeah. and that's totally improv. And then he was like, man, that was, I shouldn't do that. And so they did another take. He doesn't do it. And everyone goes, what happened? And he's like, well, you talk about it. like the, you didn't do the arm thing. And he's yeah. like, oh, you guys liked that. And they're like, we have to do the arm thing. He reloads and it works. Oh, that is such a good moment. It's in that such movie. a great moment. And in that, that movie, that bathroom fight scene in that movie is amazing. But that little scene right there, that little thing he does, it takes it takes the whole cake. Yeah, because it, it sells the scene. It sells the moment. It sells him as a character. And so whether you're reloading your biceps or tweaking John Hammond's <laughs> knee, you've got to just go for it sometimes, especially with those physical moments to sell the overall scene. That's funny because I literally had that written down. <laughs> the knee tweak? Yeah, it says helicopter, Ian Malcolm, knee squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> A knee squeeze. Knee squeeze. And that's right after that we hit, we get the... The John Williams music kicks in. Oh, John Williams, you magnificent bastard. Is he... Could there be a better composer? Randy Newman. I hate you right now. (laughs) Come on, you had to have seen it coming. Uh, I didn't. Honestly, I didn't. I thought we would move past the Randy Newman. You can't move past the greatest composer of all time. Randall Newman. Randall. Randrew Newman. (laughs) <laughs> I seen a guy on TikTok who does the voice of Randy Newman, but he plays different songs. Like he did Billie Eilish as Randy Newman, and then I think I sent you one. I think you did. I can't remember what song it I was though, either. but it made me laugh oh, really hard when he started. I was like, "Oh, I've so got to send this to Jake." <laughs> but no, John Williams, man, everything he's done is top notch. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I there's think- a reason he's Spielberg's guy. He should be everybody's guy. That guy should be so busy. They need to clone him. 
well, this is Jurassic Park. I know. <laughs> Life will find a way. So what notes do you want to touch on? Because again, all of mine are character and story based. So that's kind of where I'm going to be driving the conversation a little more. So if there's something you want to hit on, just throw it out there, brother. Okay. Yeah. The main thing I really want to talk about is the T-Rex attack scene. Mm -hmm. So once we get there, I'll kind of give you a nudge. Okay. So this movie, as we just talked about was was criticized for a one-dimensional and clunky story lacking any sense of all wonderment or strong human story values visually and and through its sound both sound effects and its score is exclusively on wonderment but let's take a look at one-dimensional clunky story and and lacking strong human story values this movie is only strong human story values. When we break down just just the, the overall umbrella, this movie is a man versus nature story. You've got a quintessential story of man trying to survive the elements of the wild, and we have the wild animals, or in this case, the dinosaurs and their interactions, and most of them are violent. <laughs> Right. Sometimes. So we've got, we've got the obvious, we've got the obvious, but where does this come from? And they touch on it. So many, every time Dr. Ian Malcolm speaks, just just say this movie has no strong human story values. I guess they just went to the can every time Jeff Goldblum talked. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't understand what they're, what, what, what they're coming from with that. So for specifically for this, I want to go back. Uh, I want to, I want to take us into the scene where they just had the, the tour, not the car tour, but they sat down on the spinning seats. Oh, with Mr. DNA, with Mr. DNA. And they see the re the, the scientists doing their spiel and they, they break out of it. <laughs> like, can they do that? Wait a minute. Can they do that? <laughs> are those are auto erotica? Auto erotica. <laughs> and he's like, no, there are no animatronics in Jurassic Park. Those are the real deal. Just take a moment to appreciate the the lawyer going. Are those characters auto uh, auto erotica? <laughs> yes, they're clearly choking themselves mm, while they jerk it. That's a Freudian slip. <laughs> what a! But again, that's one of those you talked about. This this movie has levity. We talk. We've talked about a lot of different movies that have or don't have levity. Jurassic Park has some great comedy in it. It does. But so but after that scene they have the dinner or lunch. They have lunch. I always think dinner cuz their room is weirdly dark cuz they've got all the projectors going with the different pictures and whatever going on. But they're eating lunch and they're and they're the three scientists are kind of giving their overall ideas on what they their initial thoughts so far. And Jeff Goldblum gives gives a great little monologue in the middle of the scene. And he talks about how you guys were so quick to do this because you can. You didn't stop to think if you should. And that summarizes this film's strong elements of man playing God. Because we took the idea of gene sequencing and cloning which again is happening 
and we could do a whole episode on on de-extinction. And if anyone out there doesn't know what I'm... I go down a lot of YouTube rabbit holes sometimes if I'm left to my own devices. That's, that's dangerous. And de-extinction is a thing that's really interesting to me and terrifying. And it's basically Jurassic Park. But we'll that's a separate Patreon fans. We'll do hey, a thing. Off. There we go. <laughs> but no. But but so now we've got a man playing God. But it's such a high level, right? Because people are like, you know, fertility clinics helping parents that are or or hopeful parents that can't that are having trouble conceiving and they help in the process and they're like, well, they're playing God and blah 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 blah. You know. Well, yeah. So if we look at it like that and people are upset about that, so we're going to take this argument that people don't like and we're going to just explode it to the highest possible. We made T-Rexes, son. <laughs> right? We're gonna, we're making dinosaurs. Right? Yeah, but that's cool. That's cool. Till they eat you. So now we've got man playing God. We've got this idea of just because we're able to do something doesn't mean we should. And how how many times does the raw ability to do something outweigh the pros and cons of if it even should be done the excitement of let's do it to our listeners out there specifically the men if you're younger you're probably living it every day if you're older like we are think back to those younger days how many stupid dangerous reckless things have you done because you were caught up in the excitement of oh yeah we can do that. Let's do it. That's never happened to me. I I don't believe, not only do I not believe that, I'm willing to bet that happened this morning. <laughs> Nerd! <laughs> uh, I just stayed in my house like a good boy and drew my pictures. And, and <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into, so we've got man versus nature. We've got man versus nature. We have man playing God, can versus should. Then corporate greed, because in the same lunch scene that we've got the Lord going, we're going to make a fortune. We can charge 5,000 a day, 10,000 a day, and people will pay it. Oh, we'll have a coupon day yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, we'll have a coupon. Yeah, like, sure. The way he says that, I'm, I'm going to smack you in the face. Right. He's such a weasel. But here's the thing. John Hammond is such a hypocrite. He's like, no, we're not going to cater to just the super rich. Everyone, everyone can come and, and spend their money and enjoy Jurassic Park. Enjoy my creatures. Enjoy my park. Enjoy my creations. He's like P.T. Barnum. But he hates inspections because they slow things down. But the inspections ensure safety. So the profits... And the timetables are more important than the safety. They're more important than, than than the needs being met. Well, he even takes the lowest bid for Nedry. For Nedry. On the, the whole system. The, the system that keeps everything in place. In their little rooms. Yeah. So now we've got, you know, the almighty dollar being a driving factor and... The board of directors, or, or I'm sorry, not board, the investors, Hammond, the lawyer, when he sees the potential there, and everyone starts salivating at the idea of how much money can be made. And at that point, they have no concerns. Think about the lawyer before they go to the park, before they see the brachiosaur. 
He is all about safety. He is all about the inspection. He is already in his mind prepared to close Jurassic Park down. He sees dinosaurs and he sees the profit that will come from this. And he could not flip any harder on all of his stances (laughs) about Jurassic Park. Well, even the speech he gives Hammond in the Jeep from the helicopter to the the command center. Yeah. He's like, you know, if, if, and he's pointing at, uh, Dr. Sadler and Dr. Grant, and he's like, if they're not convinced, I'm not convinced. They'll shut you down, John. I'll shut you down, yeah. John. And shit, he sees one brachiosaur, and he's like, we're going to make a fortune with this place. So now we have man's struggle against nature. We have man's struggle against, what's the psychological term? Like his greater self? You know what I mean? The The base almost animalistic drive of like, we're going to do it. We can do it versus the higher order thinking of like, wait a minute, pump the brakes. Should we do this? The pros and the cons. And now we have the corporate greed factor. And yes, it's, it's in the, we're viewing it all of these in the lens of a movie about dinosaurs, but these are very real human elements that every single person on this planet in some way, shape or form sometimes small, sometimes large, we experience it every single day. Oh, I'd agree with that. How does this movie lack strong human story value? This movie only has strong human story values. Well, and I think, too, it's Hammond's urge to leave an impression on not just his grandkids, but on the world. He wants to make a name for himself, you know, put his name out there or, or create something that people will look at and go, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Remember when Hammond did this or I think kind of everybody wants to do something. We all want to leave our mark. We want to leave their mark. Yeah. And I think that's just base human desire at some level is to leave that mark to, to be immortal, right. To be remembered. Yeah. But when it becomes an obsession that goes too far and when we talk more about, because again, the three characters I picked out to examine if they're one dimensional or not are Doctors Grant, Doctor Malcolm, and John Hammond. And I've got some. I got mm, you look like a just everyone's favorite grandpa, John. But you're a real son of a bitch, and I'm gonna make sure everyone knows your sinister ass is a real son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, and also going back to the the human story elements. You know what we also have in here. Man versus machine. I'm looking at you, Grant. You can't do anything that's even remotely involves technology. <laughs> that one is played for laughs, but it exists nonetheless. Also, that helicopter was defective. His seatbelt had two. You know, they're like, you can't put a seatbelt on. Are you some kind of idiot? We're going to land before you do it right. His seatbelt seat had two female ends. He made it work. How is that his fault? So either... Laura Dern stole his seatbelt and didn't realize it. Or the helicopter was defective, which honestly, if we want to get real fan theory here, which we try to avoid, but if, if we do, that's an engine helicopter. Were they so quick to produce helicopters to get to and from the island that they overlooked basic safety features to make sure they were correct? What? Is that an... is? No way. Are we are we uncovering an insight into the corporate greed and the lack of safety features? 
that they gave inadvertently gave Dr. Grant a defective seatbelt that he had to tie into a knot. Oh my God. The rabbit hole. Oh my God. I'm spiraling. I'm spiraling. Injin would not do such a thing. That's true. Looking at you, BD Wong. What? <laughs> it took me a minute. I'm like, well, who the hell is he talking about? And then I was like, oh, yeah. You call yourself a Jurassic Park fan. So what do you want to... <laughs> That's my little tangent about, about the story being one-dimensional. I cannot disagree more. If you disagree with me or agree with me, hit us up in the comments. Take a price on Patreon. We love the comment section. Right or wrong. We can either go into scenes or we can break down our first character. Let's break down the first character. Who do you want first? Grant, Hammond, Malcolm. You know what? We're on a Hammond roll. All right. Hammond roll? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> we just had dinner, you monster. I'm a fatty. I don't care. Yeah, we did. Just, we had dessert, too, and now I want a Hammond roll. <laughs> so we have John Hammond. We meet him. Actually, when we first meet him, he lacks a certain fundamental level of self-awareness to the point that he's completely oblivious to the disruption his actions cause. He is completely unaware of how big of a pain in the ass he is being. So when we first meet him, we're back on the dig site. They're uncovering legitimate fossils. They have full skeletons and his ass shows up in a helicopter and lands at the dig site and the blades are blowing everything everywhere. It's da it's recovering the fossils. It's damaging the fossils. It's damaging the equipment. Uh, Grant is screaming at the helicopter pilot to turn the blades off because he's destroying everything. And he's like, what is... And the guy's pointing to Grant and Sadler's private trailer where they go in and there's just an old man's white-clad ass digging through their fridge like he owns it. Without a care in the world. Like the world's worst house guest. And he goes, oh, great, they have champagne. And he just pops it. In their direction. And then he's like, we were saving that. And he's like, yeah, you were saving it for this. I guarantee it. We don't know who you are or what you're talking about. You could be selling us encyclopedias or vacuums like a weirdo from the 50s. Get out of here. And he's some, like, no. Some weird dinosaur book with really crappy drawings. Hey, I love that book. And I will fight you. <laughs> Eat your ham and roll. Me quiet. Right, but now, so we got John, but we, we see that he is, he has a level of charm. He's typically jovial. He's very high-spirited. He's egotistical. And in the same scene, we, we see the hints of that. We were saving that champagne. Yeah, for me and this moment right now. Grant and Sadler don't know who you are or why you're there. And even after you deliver your spiel, you don't know how they're going to take it, but he already knows because he's John Hammond and he's making Jurassic Park and everything is about him. He's not a great guy. So, but he does have a level of charm. He's everyone's favorite grandpa. He gives this vibe. And I, to be fair, I do believe wholeheartedly that he is an amazing grandfather to his grandkids. I believe that. I would agree. He looks like Santa. 
Uh, he is caring, but he he is ambitious. Obviously, he he got a hold of cloning and is going to make a theme park about real life dinosaurs. If that's not ambitious, I don't know what is. But that ambition drives him to a point that he's ignoring safety protocols. He is pushing things ahead of schedule, whether they should be or not, or could be or not, doesn't matter. Faster, do it, get it done. We don't need this, skip that. And so now we're reckless because his ambition and his drive and his lack of self-awareness is now pushing us into a legitimately dangerous situation. He has this idea that money can fix everything. He can't be the bad guy because he can do it all. Because he can afford it all. What is John Hammond's expression? He has one catchphrase. Tevis, hit us. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Because that's all that matters. All that matters is money. Having money. Spending the money. Making more money. It's all that matters. The inconvenience doesn't matter. The danger doesn't matter. The ethical dilemma doesn't matter. It's about the money. Hammond is arguably just as dark in this movie as he is in the book. But it's hidden in the movie more. In the book, it's pretty out on his sleeve. He's kind of an ass. Like, he's a real D-back in the book. But yeah, because doesn't he, like, undercut Nedry somehow with money? Probably. And in the, in the movie, he just takes Nedry's bid, which was super low. Yeah. Which, that whole expression of... We spared no expense, except like, except for Nedry. Like, what? but but here's another thing: he spared no expense on food. He yeah. spared no expense on getting Richard Kiley to narrate the Things, the tour. But he cut the budget on safety, on operational function. Yeah, he is a dark guy. It's almost if if the public can see it, we spare no expense. He's all sizzle, no steak. Very much. To an absurdly dangerous level. Yes. And it's all about control. And his conversation with Laura Dern after everything goes to hell and they're eating ice cream. And he even, you know, sadly chuckles. And he's like, yeah, spared no expense on the ice cream. And he tells her the story about how when he was an immigrant fresh off the boat, he had a flea circus. And he was putting on a show and kids were coming. We can see the fleas, mommy. I can see the fleas and the little trapeze fleas and, you know, all this fleas, fleas, fleas. <laughs> wow. You sounded just like him there for a minute. I did, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you if you got your bingo boards, we'll just count that as our bad impression. <laughs> uh, so he thinks, though, he, that he can still have the same level of basically puppeteered circus equipment. And imaginary fleas. He thinks he can have that same control, but with real life creatures. And not just any creatures, not just a zoo, but creatures that he has created. They are his. He made them. Their existence is only possible because of him. And so now he's giving them, he's giving the people the ultimate show. And he is able to control it, which as we know, he can't. This is a deeply complex and flawed man. If you're going to sit there and tell me John Hammond is one dimensional, I will spit in your face. 
Yeah, I don't think they watched the movie the same way. Right? And I've never watched this movie this way until this show. Yeah. And and to, for this podcast and then going to these reviews going, man, am I wrong? And I don't think I am. I got two more. I am just, man, I am just ranting and railing about everything. I got two more characters. If we okay. even want to touch on them or if we're just happy with Hammond, I don't care. No, let's hit Dr. Grant. You want Grant? Yeah. So we have a paleontologist who is obviously intelligent. We learn that he is one of the best, if not the leading mind in his field. But at the dig site, they are looking at a crude 3D radar-generated image. And he and Laura Dern, they're looking at the bones. They're looking at the shapes. And he's like, look at this. This isn't lizard-like. This is bird-like. It's amazing that they didn't learn to fly. And people are laughing at him because they're like, you know, dinosaurs are reptilian. They're not avian. And he's like, no, look at these bones. Look at this structure. This is more bird-like than it is reptile-like. He is leading the charge on what we now know is, or at least what we now believe to be is correct. He is leading the forefront in 93 that on, on thoughts and theories that change paleontology forever. He's jaded. He's very jaded. And I reference when he showcases the raptor claw to the chubby boy. The cho- Why couldn't he be, just be a boy? No, they picked a chubby kid specifically because they're like oh look at this fat obnoxious boy that grant can just torment but no one will feel bad or no one will no one will dislike grant for it because this kid clearly has it coming you're you know you're not wrong because when he did that to the kid uh, nobody was like what an asshole exactly everyone's like uh eat that you little fat kid no if like opie taylor was up there or his brother from gentle ben you know no, well, I think it's also what the kids said. Like, how's that, that scary? scary? Looks, Looks like, like a giant turkey, six foot turkey, and yeah. you're just like, oh, you little bastards. Yeah, <laughs> right. But no, but now we have a guy, and this is clearly so. Okay, he is. First of all, the straight audacity of the. Uh, I don't care if they're helpers, students, other paleontologists, because and a, a lot of these digs you can pay. And the pay and, and what you pay goes to obviously to help fund and support the dig, but you can go for however long and like air quote, be a part of it. Right. Okay. And so whether they're guests there, they're just, you know, fans or whatever to be a part, you have a leading mind in a field expressing groundbreaking theory and you laugh at him. Yeah. yeah. Then you've got the fat kid with his six foot Turkey remarks. Right. And you can tell by his face, this is not the first time. He has had to deal with this bullshit and it has jaded him. It has made him cynical. Well, plus too, his, his job is in jeopardy with the computer. Cause the guy even says, you know, Hey, in a few more years, we won't even have to dig anymore. Where's the fun in that? He's like, where's the fun in that? And that's so. what I've, and that's what I've got. He's old school. Yeah. He's like, no, we have to get our hands dirty. That's the best way to, he has those old school traditional kind of values when it comes to that. Um, but you know what, under all that gruffness, think about what he does. He's a paleontologist. He loves dinosaurs. And that tells me that he still has his childlike sense of wonderment. Who loves dinosaurs? Let's be honest. 
kids love dinosaurs. They can still imagine them. They can picture them stomping down their neighborhood street, right? And then as adults and we grow up and we have to deal with real life and we lose that along the way and it's actually kind of tragic, right? But here we have a guy who's like, no, I'm going to chase this love and turn it into a career. And you cannot do that unless you still have that spark. I'll give you that. So underneath this intelligent, jaded, kind of old school guy, deep down, he still has that. We see it at the Triceratops scene. Oh, yeah. He and Laura Dern are just like, oh, my gosh, look, look. Yeah, they're like a kid at Christmas. And he's like, when I was a kid, Triceratops were always my favorite. And now that I'm seeing her up close, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he's laying on her stomach as she's breathing. That's what I'm talking about. If you're like, oh, Jake's talking out his ass about childlike wonderment, that scene sells what I'm talking about. He is pragmatic. We don't need all this tech. We can just dig. We don't need millions of dollars worth of equipment. We need tools that we can get at Home Depot. And we need people who know how to use them. Oh, my seatbelt doesn't work. I'm just going to tie it into a knot because it's the same function. We have, a, we have a guy who looks at things very practically and comes up with solutions that just makes sense, but so, but don't need money that don't need crazy expertise. That also kind of goes back into his old school way of doing things. We learn, uh, that he is actually surprisingly paternal. Yeah. For a guy who hates kids and doesn't want to have kids. And I think that surprises himself. I think he surprises himself in that as well. Yeah, when he's up in the tree getting Tim out of the car, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, I, Tim's like, I threw up. I said, Don't worry about that. We won't tell anybody you threw up. Just, yeah. you know, come on down. And it's like, hell, you were in a tree, and you, you, your dad ever built you a tree house when you were a kid? And he's like, no. He goes, yeah, yeah, me either. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, just don't look down. Just don't look down. And then he looks down. He, but So he's trying to comfort Tim and telling him it's not that scary, even though he is in himself scared. And... The car is like, you know what? You guys need to get out of this tree really quick. Yeah. And with that being surprisingly uh, paternal, he's very protective. Even before he establishes any kind of connection with these kids, back when he still just hates kids, the T-Rex attacks. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh my God, they need help. He, without hesitation, he gets a flare. He finds a, he looks for anything in the Jeep that might remotely help. He finds a flare and he says, I can get the Rex's attention and get it to leave. Here we go. (laughs) And so he's already, he's assertive. He's protective in this moment. He is heroic, but I have heroic down for him and Malcolm in the same scene. But Grant is taking charge. He is the leader and he is not afraid to step in for those heroic actions instinctively. Right. Despite his jadedness and and all of that, he also, deep down, he still has a sense of humor. He has a drier wit. And like the uh, electric fence scene. (laughs) When he's like, maybe it's turned off and he because they have to climb it. He's like, I guess the power is off. And he grabs it and he pretends he's getting shocked and then turns and is just smiling at the kids. (laughs) Right? Underneath this gruff, kind of jaded, cynical exterior, he's protective. He's assertive. He has a sense of humor. He has that childlike wonderment. 
we have a guy who we want to root for. The world has beaten him down, but he's still got all the qualities that we want our leading man to have. So last guy is Malcolm. Yes. The last one that I've done. My favorite. I, real talk, most people's favorite. And rightly so. We have the egotistical Dr. Ian Malcolm. This guy loves the smell of his own farts. <laughs> Just look at him and you're like, that guy loves the smell of his own farts. Cause, cause, and think about throughout the movie, he's like, oh, I'm right again. Oh, look over there. That's me being right. You know who's right? Yeah. This guy. Well, he even says, you know, he's like, I hate being right all the time. Mm-hmm. So. And he believes it. Yeah, he he is always right in his own mind. Uh, he is a player. He's hitting on Dr. Sadler, Laura Dern, the whole time. Uh, the, one of the quotes that we joke about all the time, you know, is like... Uh, always on the lookout for the next future ex-Mrs. Malcolm. Right. So yeah. Not only is, is he always on the lookout for his, for the next woman in his life, he also is aware that he's completely insufferable and that they will get divorced. That's going to happen. I, I like when Dr. Grant asks him, so are you married? And he goes, occasionally. Like, oh. <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Forgot about I that. I love that. Are you married? Occasionally. <laughs> Cracks me up. I feel like that's you. <laughs> to have you married? Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> He is, he's a, he, there are times he, he bounces between, he uses his intellect for humor more often than not. And it ranges anywhere from just your typical class clown. Like when he's in the Jeep and he's tapping on the camera, he's like, excuse me, uh, are there, uh, ever going to be any, d- dinosaurs on this, uh, d- you know, d- dinosaur tour? Hello? <laughs> Hello. And John Hammond's like, I really hate that man. <laughs> right? Yeah. To the point that he's just like full on almost uh aggressively a smart ass. Right? It's anywhere from just like benign humor to borderline aggressive. In the scene where they're trying to lead Dr. Sadler to the breaker system. Mm-hmm. And it's Dr. Malcolm and Hammond reading the schematic yeah. and he's like i know how to read a schematic and it, malcolm's like just g- give me the damn walkie just, yeah. he goes hey look up you see those pipes just follow them and this whole time hammond's like no go up here to you know three steps forward take a right and, oh there should have been a left at oh, some point man, there should have been a left back there and he's you can see the the hear the pages of yeah. the, the thing <laughs> flipping and malcolm's just like give me that just look up follow the pipes done and, you know, even in there, they, Hammond calls him the rock star, right? He's this egotistical player, rock star guy. And and so he kind of lived, you know, mul- you know, multiple ex-wives, a bunch of kids. I forget how many he says he has. But despite it all, he is sci- what I would what I wrote down, what I call scientifically prudish. OK, expand. What is his one argument the whole time? Man in no way, shape, or form, should try to impede or control the natural world. His whole stance is what we're doing is a conflict of the natural order of our planet. We need to not. He, 
at no point expresses any belief that we should push boundaries, that we should we should try to grow and expand, especially in the realm of what in the, of the particular sciences we're talking about within the film. He's like, no, we not only do we need to dial back, we need to not touch these. He is calling for a hard stomp on the brakes. And so when you look at his appearance, his personal life, everything he's kind of on about, it's almost surprising that he's this reserved when you're looking at the scientific discovery. Even Dr. Grant is like, when they're having that lunch and he's like, we have no idea what to expect and how can we? That's not a negative statement. It's not positive, but it's not negative. He is not making a declarative statement one way or the other, do or don't. He's saying, we have no idea what to expect. Malcolm is saying, absolutely not. We need to stop right now. He calls it the rape of the natural world. Yeah, he does. I forgot about he that. He is scientifically prudish. But he's also right. Unfortunately, he's always right. <laughs> Just ask him. Yeah. <laughs> He is personally reckless. Not only, obviously, with his occasional walkies and everything, right? He's personally reckless. Grant was a heroic leader. He saw the kids were in jeopardy, knew something had to be done. He instinctively jumped in to do it. He got the flare, got the Rex's attention, threw it, and the Rex was leaving. It had worked. And he did it standing still. Right. Because he knows. Because he knows. Yes. Grant was acting on the information he has obtained through years of study and research. Malcolm is heroic, but in a follower sense. He would have, had Grant not been there, he would have done nothing. He saw Grant act. He saw that it was working. He went, I can help Two. Grant said, I can help. Malcolm said, I can help too. It's one word, but it's a really powerful distinction. Yeah. Not only does he have no idea what he's doing, he doesn't actually watch what Grant does. He recklessly goes, Oh, we're using a flare. Yeah, that's all he sees. And he does and he does it wrong. And he gets chased and he gets injured by the Rex. It almost kills him. He gets the lawyer killed. He gets the lawyer killed. And then he almost gets Grant and the kids killed. He wants to be the hero, but he won't, he won't lead that charge, but he'll follow if he thinks it works. It's not cowardly, but it's not great. It's stupid. And so we have, so in, in Malcolm, we have a guy that in so many ways, is reckless and carefree. But at the, on the same token, on the, on the flip side of the Dr. Ian Malcolm coin, he is very conservative about many things, especially once we start looking at the natural state of the world. How is this a one dimensional character? How is Dr. Grant, the cynical jaded pragmatist who hates kids and yet is shockingly paternal 
wastes no time in heroic leadership actions and protecting the kids and anyone else he's around. Dr. Hammond, as he tries to control the world with money and ambition, while trying to also be everyone's favorite grandpa, these are not one-dimensional characters, and this is not a one-dimensional story. There are so many layers that I don't think anyone, or I'm not going to say no one saw, right? We're not breaking new ground right, here. Right. But when this movie was watched and these critics were like, oh, pff, dinosaurs. Yeah, you only saw what you wanted to see. They only saw the dinosaurs. You came in this going, oh, a dinosaur movie. Oh, look, there are dinosaurs in a dinosaur movie. Yeah. They could not be more wrong. Jurassic Park is a masterpiece. And a lot of that has to do is because it was written by Michael Crichton, who's one of the greatest authors that has ever lived. And I will die on that hill. I will die on that hill. I wish I could have an argument with you about this, but I've never read a Michael Crichton. Would you like to borrow one of my Michael <laughs> Crichton books? You you can now publicly give what, the answer you always give me. What's the one? Um, Congo? You want Congo? No. Oh, I'd rather watch that movie. No, no, I would not. It has Bruce Campbell. Does it really? Yeah. Is he Congo? <laughs> yeah, Bruce Campbell plays Congo in the movie Congo. No, I think the the reviews that say that it is a one-dimensional movie, I think they had a, a list of movies they had to review that week and quickly type up some bullshit. <laughs> so they're like, okay, well, hell, blah, 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 blah. Here, here, this one's done. This one's done. I don't think they actually took the time and effort and actually did their job. Wait, am I more professional and legitimate than <laughs> Yes, 100%. What yes. a terrifying world we live in. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. So that those that was my those are all my notes. That was my breakdown of this air quote one-dimensional story with its one-dimensional characters. Not, even the lawyer who is probably the most one-dimensional because he cared about safety and everything and, and cared about uh, protecting corporate assets and blah, 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 until he thought, oh, I can make a buck. Yeah. And then corporate greed kicked in, which also goes back into the nuances of all the different layers of the overall plot. I'm trying really hard not to just start swearing at every critic I've ever read about this movie because they're all wrong. Yeah. Profits before people. The only thing I really want to touch base on is the entire movie no uh <laughs> me too yeah, no just just the entire t-rex escape scene okay question yes and everybody you know hit us up in the, our patreon comment section let us know what you think because i had an idea about this okay and we just do another sub series where we just look at specific movie moments we don't look at the whole movie we just look at that moment and we break it down bit by bit and the T-Rex scene is one of them. I, I honestly, yes. I think we should do that. How do we do this? Let, we can touch on this scene, but we have to save the meat and potatoes yeah. for... There's a few things I want to touch on. I've talked too much. Please go ahead. From the moment, I think it was Hammond who says, where did the Jeep stop? And then it cuts to the goat. And it shows the goat standing in the rain. When the power goes out and they had to re, you know, reboot the system, there's no music at all through that entire scene. It's all just the sounds of the rain, 
the cable snapping, the the thunderous impact trimmers. Oh, I love that. But the thing that gets me every time, even still, and there has this is ninety three. So what this movie's thirty years old mm-hmm. is his roar. Oh, the yeah. T Rex's roar. There has not been any other sound, I think, ever that just hits me as hard as that does in 30 years. It is arguably probably one of the most iconic sounds. I mean, the only other one I thought about was Godzilla's roar. Yeah, that's fair. You know, Very um, distinct. Yeah, and maybe the the seismic bombs from Star Wars with Jango Fett, where you know that sucks the sound, and then all of a sudden it's like boom. But just Nerd. yes, I am. I'm not gonna lie. When you said Star Wars, I thought you were gonna talk about like the Tie Fighters. Yeah, because that's that's really like if you were if you were to play that, they would know it. No, you went deep, and I'm like, wait, the hell are you talking about? Yeah, sonic bombs. What are you talking you about? Gotta watch. It's it's a great sound. It's a great sound. But even now, like I've I've watched it, Star Wars recently, and the sounds like, oh, I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then watching this and that roar, holy god, it shakes the house. Mm-hmm. It shakes my core. <laughs> and then seeing him bust out of that paddock and come stomping in between the two even now 30 years later still get goosebumps oh yeah it's such a good scene and this skips way ahead but when Muldoon and Dr. Sadler come and they find Malcolm and they load him up in the van or in the jeep and they're speeding away and the T-Rex is chasing him and then the mirror you know, objects, objects in the mirror closer than they appear. Oh, so great. Did you, and they, they speed away. Um, did you catch Muldoon's little smile? Oh, it's relief. Yeah. Well, I think he was just, he had like a little smirk on his face. He's like, that was exciting. Probably. Cause he's, I mean, he's a badass. He's the game warden of a dinosaur park. Yeah. yeah. He probably yeah. lives for that adrenaline. Yeah. Rush. He's, his adrenaline is pumping and he's loving every minute of it. What a complex character. We need to break down Muldoon. We'll do a whole... We're going to do a Muldoon episode. A Muldoon episode. And then Ian Malcolm, as always, the best line. You think you'll have that on the tour? <laughs> um, Damn you, Ian Malcolm. He's so great. He's so great. <laughs> no, and the only other things I wanted to touch on was the best things about this movie. All of it? It did have a few worse things. Oh, I'm going to shoot you down. Let's do it. So. Wait, is this best or worst? What are we, let's, let's do best. Let's do best first. This is going to be our longest episode. It's going to be worth it. Jurassic Park is worth it. So the, the best thing, the best things about this movie and not in any particular order is the score. Yes. Uh, I wrote down Ian Malcolm, but then I scratched that out and was like entire cast. I'm not gonna, I agree with both of those. It, the entire even pre and post edit, I agree with both of those. Even even Muldoon, like Bob Peck. Oh is, yeah, I had to look up who he was and if he was in anything else. Nothing else that I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and most of it's like TV series, mm. um, TV movies, and things of that nature. This is the biggest movie he's ever been in. 
Honestly, that might be true for everyone in this movie. Hmm. I was thinking, well, no, Jeff Goldblum, but he went on to do Thor Ragnarok. Jurassic Park in its time is yeah. bigger than Thor Ragnarok yeah. in its time. The yeah. Fly, Jurassic Park was bigger in its time than The Fly was in its time. Jeff Goldblum's got some bangers. So does Sam Neill. Yeah. But as far as Bob Peck has nothing. Yeah. I don't have to shoot down Bob Peck like that, man. Peck, I love you. I'm sorry. That was kind of sucks. Rude. That was kind of rude. Bob Peck has no mainstream movies. Mm-hmm. At least that this idiot can find. The T-Rex attack scene. Gold. Start to finish. Still Start holds finish, up. Gold. We talk about like scenes aging and everything. Not a bit. No. Fantastic. I put on here Muldoon's death. Because it's explained earlier in the movie by Dr. Grant, by mm. what the Raptors will do. Yeah. And they did it. And the last one I have is the theme song played on piano at the end. And then it builds up to its triumphant crescendo and at the end credits. And it's when the end credits pop up. I wanted to stop it and restart it. You know, I... When it hits, it's this is one of the few movies I'm like, I have to contain myself to not stand up and cheer. Like when that, when it's, when the music's, you know, the Raptors are dead. The T-Rex is in the visitor center doing its iconic roar. When dinosaurs roam the earth banner is falling down to, to the T-Rex's feet. Uh, we get the triumphant roar at the end credits the music and it swells and it's all i can do to not just stand and yeah. cheer man yes <laughs> okay so you ready for the worst things oh i'm oh yeah i only actually have three i only wrote down three okay him getting electrocuted mm-hmm. no <laughs> i didn't I just, you can't just say no he <laughs> he would have died i mean he ten thousand thousand volts. volts you're 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 like that little guy that's sitting next to Beetlejuice in hell when he's waiting in the little waiting room. And he's all charred up, and that would have been Tim. Yeah, but okay. I mean, I know we have to suspend some disbelief, and but that that part always bothered me, even from the beginning, from the first time I watched it. Okay, sure, fair. When Doctor Grant and the two kids are in the tree, mm-hmm. in the treetop, and then you see the big bracky coming up and eating it. Some of the visuals there didn't really work that well. A little too animatronic or puppety. A little bit. Um, And then when it cuts to the CGI one and you can see all the way down to the ground. Even even then, back then, when I watched it the first time, I was like, okay, that's not really the greatest. And I'm being super nitpicky. Yeah, I was going to say, you're digging here. I'm digging. Yeah. I'm being really super nitpicky. With the exception of this last one. This brachiosaur in this one scene looks a little meh, guys. Yeah, I mean, it's true. But every time I've ever watched it, I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> All okay. right. But you saved the best for last, yeah. so to speak. Nedry's death. Sure. That is the dumbest shit. He gets spit in the face, and he bumps his head, and he falls down, and then... The dinosaur, what, is like, <laughs> I'll, I'll get this guy. Let me get in his van. Or let me get in the Jeep. And then he jumps. And it reminds me of the Jurassic Park 3. 
on the plane where he's having a dream and the <laughs> the raptor's like, wake up. Wake up, Alan. <laughs> oh, it, it bothers me so much because he gets in the Jeep and he's like, oh, okay. And then you hear the, like, really? Now, in the greater Jurassic Park lore, does it make does it make you feel better or worse knowing that Nedry is not listed as any of the casualties? And not only is his death unknown to everyone, but he's never found. Which is odd to me because they thought he got on the boat. Yeah, but when you get back on the island, because don't they go back to the island? Oh, no, that was a different island. On two. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. No, he's gone. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm being very nitpicky. Uh, that one a little less so. I do. I get what you're saying, but Nedry had to get it somehow. I mean, as soon as he got spit in the face, he bonks his head or whatever, and he falls down, loses the canister of the embryos. I mean, they could have just jumped on him and ah, ate him up and been done. That's what he did. But he waited for him in the van in the jeep. Yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> Oh, you're saying Nedry never makes it back in the car. Right. Head bump on the ground, dinosaur. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Not head bump on the ground, dinosaur opens the other side so he can <laughs> buckle himself in. Well, that Jeep might have had two female ends on the yeah, side. Maybe, so he had to maybe. tie it into a knot. And the, I imagine, Engine, you bastard. I imagine the dinosaur is changing the settings <laughs> on his he's got to adjust his seat yeah. and changing the settings on his uh, radio so when he pushes one <laughs> it goes to a completely different channel that he actually wanted <laughs> he's playing with the the ac vents the guy get it just right he's waiting for him come on dude get up i gotta eat well i mean he has to do something while while he's waiting for his blinding paralytic to kick in stupid <laughs> but does it take away from the overall joy I have of this movie? No. No. That's one of the charming bits of it. Is yeah. You're just like, sure. Yeah. I've been with it this far. Let's go with it. You know, it's like every movie's allowed that one goofy moment when it's a good movie. Like, if you're a movie like Jurassic Park and you give us the T-Rex escape scene, you're allowed a goofy yeah. moment. So to me, And you know what? Nedry's death isn't goofy enough. To, to balance that scale from the T-Rex scene. No, it's not Indiana Jones in the refrigerator. <laughs> it was lead. Dumb. <laughs> Fine. Do you have final thoughts on this movie? I have all the final thoughts. I love this movie. You go first. It's so, I love this movie. If you have never seen the original, not Jurassic World and Dominion, blah, 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 blah. Watch Jurassic World park it is the best out of all six it's not even close if you like sci-fi movies watch jurassic park if you like kind of i guess actiony thrillers it's sometimes it's even classified as a horror movie which i don't no, necessarily I agree with but it is sometimes watch this movie if you have watched this movie and it's been a while Watch this movie. If you watched it yesterday, just go ahead and pop it back in your player and watch it again. That's my thoughts. Watch this movie again and again and again. I'm going to watch this movie right now while you're talking. This movie is amazing from start 
to the little bit of section with Nedry to finish. <laughs> From start to right when Nedry gets spit in the face, but then it picks up again yeah. after he dies. Yeah, after he dies, it, it takes off again. Now, this this movie has a beautiful score, amazing acting from a freaking stellar cast. Mm-hmm. Like, there is not a weak link in this cast. The sound design is uh, beyond anything I've heard since. It's still probably one of the best sound designs I've ever heard. It's a great concept that what you said it did spawn too many sequels and this series drastically falls after the first one and then after the second one <laughs> drastically falls even further may i and, I, can, and I, on and on can i interject real quick sure having watched lost world recently it's not as bad as you remember it it's really not honestly the third one's not as bad as you remember it either i enjoyed the lost world I did not like number three. I didn't either. And then I watched it recently and I went, it's still not good, but it's not as bad as I remember. And now I can't remember what else I was going to say because now I'm just, uh... oh, you know why the Jurassic World trilogy isn't great? It shows the dinosaurs too damn much. Yeah, it's a little too Mm action-y. But I was going to say, it misses the mark on the characters and the plot storytelling that the original Jurassic Park does. And honestly, Lost World on, they all do. Three is just all over the place. But all the Jurassic Worlds, they didn't get what this movie was. And neither did these critics. And I will not let this go. I'm gonna our next episode has nothing to do with this movie. And I'm still gonna talk about it. Um, I think the Lost World movie or the Jurassic World movies were too interested in, hey, we can make dinosaurs look even better and we can put them in water. Oh, my God. And that's all that matters. The people who made Jurassic World are the literal fictitious people that made Jurassic Park. Not the movie creators, the park creators. They were too busy figuring out if they can. Yes. They didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah. God. And oh, Dr. Malcolm, he, did, <laughs> he was right again. He was right again. Oh. <laughs> and I, I dare say this is Steven Spielberg's best movie. Ooh. You may have to think on that. I mean, Jaws, Saving Private Ryan. You love E.T. I hate E.T. I liked it. I loved E.T., but not like... I watched E.T. recently. E.T. sucks. And it's it's good. I enjoyed Price's it. Pieces, pieces, eating little turd. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie, every time I watch this movie, it's it gets... Every part of me erect. <laughs> I was just sitting here with bated breath going, how is he going to end this statement? No, it just gets every part of me just turned up to 11. You know, the hairs on my arm stand up. Wait, wait. 11? 11. Wait. 11. 11. <laughs> Your whole body gets dialed up to like four and a quarter. <laughs> Don't lie to the people, Devis. 
Do you have anything else? No, I no one wants to hear my voice anymore. Do you want to do the closing? You want to do the outro? <laughs> well, we got to do the hat. Oh yeah, where's our? Oh, oh wait, actually, no, no we don't. we're not doing the hat. This we're not doing a hat no. this time. So, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, thank you for bearing with me as I rant and rave for way too long about Jurassic Park. If you want to hear more, let us know. We will do a we will do a scene by scene. We talked about doing a scene by scene of the thing. I will a hundred percent do a scene by scene or a watch along, or, or I will reenact. <laughs> <laughs> this whole damn movie. <laughs> I'll walk around like a velociraptor. Ter- <laughs> I look like Colin Mockery in Whose Line Is It Anyway tune is Velociraptor. Uh, but no, let us know, because obviously we can go on and on and on. But no, for our next episode, we're not diving to the hat. We have a special treat, because our next episode is our Thanksgiving episode. I can't wait to... Tackle some turkey. It's like a six foot turkey. <laughs> I'll murder you. I swear to God. <laughs> so this was your idea. I'll let you break the news to the people. What movie are we doing for the week of Thanksgiving? We're doing a Thanksgiving movie. Man, there's not many of those. I know. All right. I'm so excited for this. I love this movie. I'm not. We're doing Steve Martin. John Candy. Gross. Just 1987 Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. (laughs) Such a classic. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) You won't even watch it. You'll be like, I didn't notice that. I was, you know, doing whatever. Holding my underwear. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. I'm Jake. This is Tevis. We're Ticket Price. This has been Jurassic Park. Hit us up next week. Thanksgiving edition of the show as we look at planes, trains, and automobiles. Good night, everyone! <laughs> <laughs>